right. Welcome to Your Time, Your Money, the show where your time is just as valuable as money. We know that. Super excited to be in here today. We have a great guest host with us today. Yeah, really excited. Dan Mergliata is here, one of the most legendary UFC and MMA officials in history. Uh, really excited to have him here. He got to come up to uh, Schenectady today and did a training. So I'm going to let him tell us a little bit about his day and what his experience has been like in, uh, in Schenectady. But uh, yeah, welcome to your time. And your money. All right. So how was your day in Schenectady, Dan? How did everything go? Uh, everything was smooth. Had a bunch of guys that were knowledgeable about the sport and they wanted to get a little more knowledge on being a referee or a judge. So we did a, a seminar down there and had a nice little outcome and good, good participants, knowledgeable. I feel like the sport of, uh, you know, the sport of MMA is growing just, you know, constantly and, and it's popping up. The, the semi-pro leagues are popping up all over the place and, you know, professional, professional MMA has become the real deal. Obviously it's, I think it's overtaken boxing. It, obviously it's, it's a huge draw. Um, you know, how many, how many people showed up to the event today? Did you have more than 50? Was there just a ton no, of people no, no. there? It was just a seminar, a training seminar for uh, people who want to be a judge or a referee. Okay. Which most people don't want to do, you know, there's too much pressure. And, you know, it's with social media nowadays, and no matter what you do, you're kind of under a microscope. And uh, well, I know somebody else who does a job like that. <laughs> hey, I was always told as a kid, you don't throw yourself in the middle of two people fighting, and that's what you do for a living. So, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah. I feel like a little Oreo here between two like really big guys. So. Well, I mean, he does have to official some of the dangerous, most dangerous people in the world, so he's got to stay in great shape. Mark. Yeah, ex- exactly. And you know, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on today was to really talk about that experience, kind of behind the scenes, yeah. uh, you know, and, and what a person goes through at a level where they're dealing with, uh, you know, people that are, you know, have egos, people that are famous in some cases, people Mm -hmm. that acquire large assets and a lot of money. And, and sometimes maybe you hear even behind the scenes, like how destructive they are in their own habits with money and how that can like kind of set them back. You know, they think, Oh, I I got one fight under me and I won a lot of money. And then all of a sudden what they're, they're broke a couple weeks down the road or anything along that lines. Uh, So we're excited to have you on today. Um, You know, when we have guest speakers come in, you know, we always like to just kind of let you tell us a little bit about a little bit about your background. Uh, Now I always do research and show prep beforehand. So, (laughs) so I do know some stories about you breaking your neck at a beach and and things along that lines. And, uh, but, uh, you know, stalking you. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you tell our listeners kind of a little bit about yourself, like how you got into the industry that you're in now? Yeah. All right. Well, Hey, things happen for a reason. Sometimes you don't understand when, when they happen. Like, you know, I broke my neck when I was 14 years old, broke two vertebrae. I spent six months in the hospital laying in traction and, you know, celebrating my 15th birthday, laying on my back in the hospital wasn't so fun. And I used to play football and baseball. I wasn't bad at football, but I was pretty good at baseball. And when I broke my neck, in my eyes, my whole future was done. I'm like, you know, how am I supposed to go and play ball again? Here I am going into my sophomore year of high school, and I, I'm missing the first six months of school. So I thought by doing martial arts, I could get coordination and get my agility back and hopefully get back into the shape where I could try out for the team in my junior or senior year. And... I started doing the martial arts, and I kind of just fell in love with it. And I remember I saw I was only a kid delivering newspapers. I was 15 years old, and I had to pay for my own. My parents didn't have the money to pay for martial arts academy. And it was two towns over. So I used to have a little newspaper out in the morning, go deliver like 150 papers in the morning, go collect the money on Fridays and Saturdays, and, and go pay my karate instructor for classes down Dude. in Cranford, New Jersey. And uh, I would drive my bike two towns over, and I signed up for like a 200-lesson program, and it was supposed to last me six months. But I was going so often almost every day except for Sunday, my lesson plan was over in like three months. So now I'm behind with no lessons and I have to continue to pay, so I work harder, more money, and sign up for more classes. And, uh, you know, just stuck with it. Um, after high school, 
I had received my black belt, and I was teaching classes at other academies and helping people out. And someone said, man, you should open up your own school. So at like 21 years old, after I'd gotten married, my wife and I opened up an academy, and we were teaching kids Kempo Karate and mixing up things. Because back then, there was no MMA yet. You know, this was like in, in 85 and 86. Yeah. It was just martial arts. But I had always liked different disciplines. You know, I was a fifth degree black belt in Kempo Karate. I was a first degree black belt in Shoto, Shukukai Karate. And uh, I had won the Nationals with the week half doing full contact of screen when I was a black belt in Kali, Darnese. And, you know, I was mixing things up already. And uh, when MMA came out, it was called Valley Tudo or No Holes Barred back then. It wasn't even called MMA, actually. Um, I had my own school, and we were already training in that kind of a discipline. So my fighters were all like, damn, we would love to fight, but there's nowhere to fight. What do we do? Right. A good buddy of mine was running shows down in Virginia, Gary Miles, uh, American Karate Center. And he said to me, hey, can you bring some of your fighters down to my school? We'll let your guys fight our guys. You know, we got some other people from Connecticut and South, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina. So I started bringing my guys down there. And he goes, bro, you want to do this in New Jersey because then we can bring our fighters up to you. So my very first event was Bama. It was called Bama Fight Nights, and it was uh, Matt Sarah fought, Nick Sarah fought. Matt the Terra Sarah. Uh, and, and these are guys <laughs> that fought in UFC. And Matt was a champion in the UFC, actually. You know. Yeah. Eddie Alvarez fought several times. You know, he used to be from the Fight Club down in uh, Pennsylvania, in Philly. Fight Factory was called. I'm sorry, Fight Factory. And you know, all these guys fought at our shows. We ran 24 events. It was a gray area. It wasn't legal, but it wasn't illegal. So I was able to run the events. I was my own promoter, matchmaker, and referee. My students were judges. You know, other, other students of other schools that brought fighters, their guys were judges. Right. It was like a family-run thing. I mean, like I said, we ran 24 shows, 12 to 15 fights, 20 fights every night. Um, back then, of course, it was not legal, so we didn't have doctors and you know medical <laughs> yeah. and stuff. Fighters were all paying the logistics, to fight. All the logistics. Yeah, the stuff it, that you're right? supposed to do, right? I mean, you're legitimately building a business in a field that was didn't exist. Well, you really like said, yeah, yeah, Dan, yeah. I knew Dan was a pioneer of this, and that's why it was so important that I wanted people to hear your story, because the logistics behind starting something like that, you had a mountain on your back. And well, I wish I knew life, guys you know? like you back then, because then I'm sure it would have been something much larger, something, you know, more developed, where when I was doing it, it was my wife and I, I mean, we did everything from Weighing fighters in to cooking sauces, peppers, and onions in the kitchen. <laughs> giving we them did love. Everything. Yeah, giving them some love. Giving them love, giving them ice packs when they were cut up and bleeding. I mean, I had fighters sometimes, you know, a guy didn't show up, and I would make a call on the microphone. Right in the middle of the fight, say, hey, I need somebody at 145 who wants to fight. Yeah. You get five guys coming <laughs> running down. Oh, man, I want to fight, I want to fight. I had, like, then I had three more fights on, you know. <laughs> because, like I said, it was no medicals back then. Guys just fought and yeah. had fun. and Like, I mean, they didn't even get paid to fight. They were paying us $35 registration fee to fight. Well, and that's something that, and that's good that you, I want to segue there, because Tim has created a great structure here at Cage Wars. Absolutely. Where guys have a safe place to fight. There's a doctor. There, there's a great. Paramedics. There's a great official in the middle making sure they're being being smart. But I mean, like that's where I want to give you a lot of credit, Dan. And the, and the reason why I wanted our listeners to hear from you is the fact that you had to start from scratch, you know, and you had to build this empire. And, and now all the work that you've done is now just part of your credential, which is unbelievable, you know. And and one thing I want to tell you though is that for athletes that are traveling, and I'm, you probably see it all the time still, as you travel, right? You go somewhere, you don't know what to expect. You have no idea what's there, right? And 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 that's you know one of my experiences when I went to Dallas with the Cowboys was they pick you up in a limo, they bring you to a homestead suite, they give you you know meals, right? And it's it's comforting and it's nice. It's a, it's it's a home away from home. 
So that, that's one of the things is, you know, I start to work with athletes and I want to help them. Just having some of those redundancies built into their schedule and keeping a tight schedule is a huge, huge win for them. Oh, yeah. I've done shows in some countries that I probably shouldn't have been at, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you're left at the airport. Right. Like when I went to Columbia, no one even spoke English that I was dealing with. I had one guy that would text me, and we'd have to use translation through the phone. And then I get to the airport, and there's no one here to pick me up. Oh, my goodness. Now here I am, this big white guy standing in Columbia. Right. Standing out just like a, a Just club. a target. Yeah, just, just a, a target. target. Please take this guy, you know. And, uh, you know, you're calling and calling. I walked back in the airport. I was looking for a plane to go back home, and all of a sudden, some guy tapped me on the shoulder and says, on a sign, you know, are you Dan Morigliata? I'm like, yeah. Were you supposed to be here half an hour ago, jerk off? I want to knock you out. <laughs> you know, I was so mad. <laughs> you know, we're now where you have an hour ago. Like, come on, you man. Know, no one's answering the phone. Be where you're supposed to be, right? Yeah. Like, you, you guys are getting picked up in limos. You know, we're getting picked up in Ubers. <laughs> <laughs> Uber didn't even exist back then, right? We didn't even true, have true, Ubers. True, but true. Well, not me. I'm not getting picked up in limos. This, this guy might be <laughs> I hate limos, man. Well, I mean, when you work for bigger shows, like when I work for UFC or Bellator, you know. Sure. BKFC, Bare Knuckle Fighting. Um, they all they do that. They pick you up at the airport. They bring you to your hotel. Well, everything's done prior to you getting there. Right. And it's well organized. And same thing with the fighters. You know, they'll get out there three or four days early. Where I get out there usually the day before. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's it's much different than it was when I first started out. Well, don't forget, I've been doing this. Since, well, well, I mean, you're making listen. You're making great points, and, and it's important athletes hear it. You know, before guys got paid, and and you know, people have misconceptions here. They see the the Conor McGregor's of the world that get paid. You know, five six million dollars. That's not real for everybody. No. You know, there's a huge portion of the NFL, just like there's a huge portion of the MMA world where they're literally fighting to survive. Right. I mean, it's literally paycheck to paycheck because if you're a fighter and you train for six months, right? Well, you got to you got to sleep somewhere. You got to eat your meals. You got to train. And when you're training, you can't have a job unless your job benefits you for fighting. Like, you know, Stepe Miocic is a firefighter. Mm -hmm. So that helps him in his fighting career. Because he can have a job one day, you know, like 24-hour shift, and then he gets three days off to train. So, you know, there, there, is some, there is some important pieces for a young athlete or a young fighter coming up that they need to start building in redundancies to their saving. Because when I was a kid, I didn't know any better, right? You go into a, a sport, you get, you get a paycheck. Oh, yeah, I got all this money. Now what do I do with it? Right. right? They're just, and they're just, just go blowing it, somebody. right? Yeah. You got to think about later. You got to think about taxes. How, I just made 60000 on a fight, right? Well, how much belongs to Uncle Sam? Right. <laughs> right? Well, there goes yeah. $20,000. And then at 60000 you got to pay your trainer. You got to pay your manager. Trainer, yeah, manager. You know, your coaches, your nutritional coach. All these people get paid out of their purse. Yeah. The average Joe Schmo doesn't realize it's like, oh, that guy was making seventy grand a fight. He fought three times. That's 210000 yeah, $210,000 net. Not, <laughs> not what he put in his pocket. Yeah, now he's gross. Now he's got to pay taxes. He's got to pay all these yeah. people. Oh, bro- he broke his hand, right? Oh, he broke his hand. Now what? Mm-hmm. Out of pocket. Yeah. Out of pocket. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of them don't even have insurance, you know, because most guys are, like you said, most of these fighters either live in the gym or they're not in a, a place where they have a job that's a full-time job where they get benefits. <clears throat> yep. So a lot of them don't even have insurance. So if they get hurt at a big event, well, then, yeah, the, that injury will be taken care of by that promoter. By the event, yeah. Thank God. You know, it's come yeah. to that nowadays. But some of these smaller shows, you're done fighting, you walk out, you're done. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm again, I don't want to go too big, too fast, but, like, the unionization, like, you know, the NFL has a PA and the, and the MLB has a PA. I'm surprised that, you know, MMA hasn't 
that doesn't exist yet. You know, maybe you're a pioneer there. Who knows, right? Like, I think the only reason why it would be almost impossible right now is because, see, the NFL is the NFL. Right. So, yeah, you the have, Shield, right? You the logo. 17, yeah. I mean, how many teams are in the NFL right now? I don't even know. There's so many uh, There's like, like 18 teams. To okay, just, so let's say there's uh, 18 teams, like but they're all right part now. of the NFL. Right. Where MMA, you have all one these big different show. fractions. You have the UFC. You yeah. Have the, the second show below that. You know, uh, Bellator, Bellator. Yeah. You know, and Bare Knuckle Fighting Championships right now is doing great, but they're the only one really that's doing good in that area. That space, you know, yeah. Boxing, forget about it. You'll never get it in boxing because everybody's no. all out for themselves only and they don't really give a crap about a fighter. Yeah. They care about what they're making and how much they can put in their pocket. We're, you know, with us, with just one big organization, how are you going to get all these fighters? If the UFC stable has 250 fighters right now, let's sure. just say, Bellator probably has another 250. IFL might have 150, you know, Ring of Combat, um, LFC, Cage Fighting Championships. There's so many other smaller ones that are on UFC Fight Pass. Maybe they have 50, 60 fighters in there, and they're all different people. How are you going to get all of them together and every organization to agree on a union? And have the same rules. I've been in the union my whole life. And have the same rules. And have the same rules. It's hard enough to do that. States (laughs) Well, let me tell you, is it unified rules? Kiss my ass, unified rules. I go to states where, oh, no, we still haven't voted on a new one from 22. Right. So what are we following? All the ones from 2016. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Seven years old. It's not yeah. fair to the fighters. You know, they need to know. Everybody should be on the same page, same rules, all throughout the country, and that's it. I, I can't agree more. Like I, no, I can't agree more. And that, Well, listen, you, you open up a good point about, you know, uh, the local, like, local rules here in New York. Well, Santa Barbara is constantly at those Cage Wars events. He's one of the guys that, union, not unionized, but streamlined the rules so that we could do an event like that. And we can enjoy it and have guys have an opportunity and girls have an opportunity to fight. He's you a know? state politician, in case you didn't know. No, no, I've been a couple times. Yeah, he's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you sits right, he sits right next to me. Yeah, and, you know, close. again, I think the key to success here is opportunity, right? We want to give people opportunities to perform and be successful. And, and what I want most importantly is people to know how important it is that they have a guy like you there. And a guy like me, because I never got the chance to do it because UFC wasn't as big as it was, you know, when I retired from football, I wish I could have done it. I remember I was wrestling Matt Hughes. I went, uh, one of my buddies, Chad, had a gym and Matt Hughes came in and he was just lighting people up, right? And he comes and he tries to shoot on me and he's like, "Mm, wait a minute. (laughs) He's like, wait a minute. And after like 20 minutes of wrestling, his coach comes over, he's like, dude, he's like, you should be, you should be a fighter. And I'm like, I'm like, man, I can't do it, man. It's just such a huge commitment for what? To get kicked in the head. Then, they weren't getting right? paid either. They weren't getting paid anything. Matt, yeah, he's getting paid. Matt, I remember Matt Hughes, he took you as a, one of the highest winning middleweights in UFC history. He got paid like $400,000 for all of his efforts. And that wasn't until he was champion. You know? and he was well known. All the fights prior to that, nothing. those guys, their contracts were nothing. Nothing, yeah, a couple thousand bucks, anything. you know. Yep. So It's but, come a long way, thank God. It, it really it, and you know what? I think it's going to go even further. Yeah. And I, I think sports in general, I think, are coming to a point where, you know, they're under the microscope and people know that there's, you know, there's there's issue for injury and there's CTE and there's brain issues and there's health issues if you don't train correctly or recover correctly. You know, t- a guy taken on a fight too soon where he's not ready to come back and fight. You know, I think it's an important piece. Um, well, a lot of the younger fighters don't realize what the senior fighters, the more, 
you know, established fighters have went through getting to that point. Oh, God, you know I mean? no. It's, it, Everyone you know, wants to make an name for it's themselves. It's like your point. You know, you look at somebody like Conor McGregor that won XYZ millions of dollars in a fight, but they didn't see all the training that he put in and the years of hard work and the years of struggle. Oh, man. Yeah, and, you know, even in officiating, I mean, all, all the all the bouts that you must have had to take and, and you know, yeah, nights away from the family. I mean, I think you have two kids, right? Yep, two, two sons. Two, two sons. Are they uh, following in dad's footsteps or are they? Uh, uh, only in work. <laughs> They're both in a union. Okay. They both work in an electrician's union. Um, okay. They both trained with me when they, since they were able to walk. They were crawling on a mat, rolling around with Boss Root and, and Enzo Gracie, Bart Vale. Oh, my God. I would love to meet Boss Root. I mean, all these guys that were at my gym doing seminars, you know, they were, my kids were little. Yeah. You know, they grew up with that. They grew up in karate. They, you know, they trained and they used to compete in karate tournaments. But then as they got older, they were such good athletes that they excelled in sports. So, so, you know, so I have to ask the question then. So as a father and as a father, at what point... Have they been able to take you, or can you still take them? <laughs> um, the he knows all the buttons to push. <laughs> I, I, hey, the old man strike never goes away, dude. I, I, <laughs> the standing joke with my kids, and I coached everything that they did, right? So the standing joke with all their friends and all these kids is still hang out with my boys. Or was like, man, we can't wait till you're 80 and in a wheelchair. <laughs> We're going to kick your ass. <laughs> Making us do laughs. He's still got it, man. He looks great. He's in great shape. Yeah, you have to ask because as a dad, I, you know, it's always in the back of your mind. When's my kid going to take me down? Well, you it's know? funny because when I was only 17, I was I just got my black belt in, uh, in Shukukai karate, right? thought I was a tough kid, trained a lot of fights, a lot of tournaments. And me and my old man always got along good, but, you know, we bickered, typical Italians, you know. Sure. But there was always respect in there. So well, one day we were going at him. My dad was so mad at me. And he said to me, go get the gloves. I'm like, you want me to get the effing gloves? I'll get the gloves. <laughs> now, I'm 6'4", 280 at the time. My dad's typical little Italian. You know, 5'10". Five five ten, ten, yeah. You know, Buck 90. Go get the gloves. Made of steel, though. He's made of freaking oh, steel. Yeah, he probably would have broke me in half. But, you know, back then, you think you're young, dumb, full of gum, young kid. You know, <laughs> testosterone going out your ears. So I go downstairs. I get the gloves. I walk upstairs with the gloves. And my mother goes, you may beat your father. But you're gonna have to find another place to live, so it's your choice. <laughs> and I thought about it, I'm like, ah, she's right, I might take his mom, but where am I gonna live? Uh, I, gotta, I gotta sleep somewhere tonight, I want dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, mom won. <laughs> but I remember awesome. like it was yesterday. I'm like, oh, you wanna fight? I'll go get the gloves. <laughs> oh my God. We're gonna transition community spotlight. Um, so, this week's community spotlight is Cage Wars and MMA. Tim Rankins is uh, the provider, and, and, and he's one of the reasons why the local area has done such a great job and given kids opportunities. You can find Tim uh, at cagewarsma.com. They uh, they host their events at Rivers Event Center. And uh, if you haven't gone to an event yet, January 20th is the next one. You can see my ugly mug there. You can see Mergliata there. And Esley likes to come once in a while, too. He'll grace us with his ever-so-kind <laughs> presence. But, um, yeah, Cage Wars has been a great opportunity for young fighters in the area to really have an opportunity to, to get out there and, and show their skills. And I know uh, I'm a big fan of El Shaddai. He's a heavyweight from back in the day when I coached. And now he's on his way up the ranks in uh, Cage Wars, and hopefully he propels himself to the next level, just like uh, the heavyweight did uh, Al. Oh. Uh, yeah, Moro. He's, he's up to play, uh, you know fighting at the next level. So big shout-out to Tim and Cage Wars. We're excited for your next event. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, the only other thing I'd ask you, man, is, you know, as you as you build relationships with your coworkers, the officials that, that you travel with, um, you know, <clears throat> what's it like backstage? You know, I want, I want our listeners to kind of get behind the scenes, like, the intensity level, is it just for TV? You know, people don't know. Or is it real? Is that emotion? Is that raw, true emotion? Is it real behind the scenes? Let me tell you something. If you knew what we all got paid, you would say, why are you doing it? So there's only one reason why we're doing it. It's because we love it. Yep. It's in our heart, and we've been doing it for so long. We really enjoy it. And the, 
the camaraderie between everybody when when you get together at these events, it's like another family. You know, right. like you know, I call my wife up, hey, I'm here. I got to the hotel. I'm safe. Everything's good. Boom, hang up. After that, I'm with this family now. All of a sudden, right? You know, all the guys, we all go out for breakfast together. Before the fights, we go to get lunch together. After the fight, we go out and we discuss the fights. You know, how do we get better? Oh, there was a split decision in this fight. How did you guys see it? Why did you score it that way? People look at some fights and they're like, oh, these judges must get paid by the UFC. To, you know, they wanted so-and-so. Right, they're independent, the right? They're of independent they're judges. Independent. Yeah. It's so, so not true. Yeah. It's a thousand percent wrong. Yeah. These guys are working class guys. They're all martial artists. Most of them have fought. If they didn't fight, they're at least coaches or trainers or owners of schools. Sure. They've been through all the courses to train to get better. They're always constantly... Talking in groups and doing Zoom meetings and watching fights and, you know, watching well, videos. I feel like people always look for the exception, right? The rule is that the, the majority of the fights go the way they should when it comes to Absolutely. a decision, right? But everyone's always looking for the exception because that's what makes the headline. Right. right. Oh, it was a decision that went the other way and it should have gone that way. Everyone wants a Monday morning quarterback, right? They, gives they, they Right. Gives us something to complain and about. And ironically, it's very similar to finance. It, you know, everybody 100%. has their, everybody has their rear, rear view mirror approach to investing. And they say, oh, well, back in whatever, I would have done this. Well, they didn't. They didn't make the profit off of it. And then right. they're questioning, well, why I was over here and my portfolio went down 4%. But they don't say like, oh, well, you're down 4%, but you could have been down 25%. Right. We saved you. Know? you. We, we yeah. Sa- yeah, we saved you, you know, 21% well, on, on your decline, right. you know, and, and want, it's that I, second guessing. And I would imagine you get that as well because people can't see the angle that you see. When, right. When you're in a ring. Behind the scenes, it, right? You know, what you it's see. It's different being, I mean, I fought in the past. I know a little bit about being very close to somebody and just seeing different angles sure. as far as like, you know, whether somebody actually hit somebody and you can take a hit and say, oh, wow, that looked like a really bad hit, but it wasn't. Right. You know what I mean? Other times it just could be a tap. You know, like, you know, why like, do you get knocked out? Yeah, well, like a lot of Mike Tyson's right. hits. You know, it looks like a sure. tap, but like the guy's out. Like right. he's, he's, his head's done. One extra quarter of an inch the way it shouldn't. Yeah. So that rear view mirror approach that that you know. Well, it's a, it's an important segue, Mark, and I really want to expand on that because you know you get questioned all the time as an official, and and the same thing happens to us as advisors. We get questioned about, hey, why this decision happened. And that's a good thing because you got to be able to have that conversation. That's where your expertise comes in really handy. Well, here's why we made that decision. Here's why we made that choice as a team. Because when you work with an advisor, just like when you work with a great official, you can defensively say, hey, here's why. Here's why I stopped the fight, man. Because you were sleeping on your feet, you know. <laughs> We've seen it before. Guys are, you know, wobbling. And they're, I think they got their hands up, but they're sleeping. They wake up and they're like, why did what you happened? stop the fight? What happened, right? Wait a minute, you've been hugging my leg for the last five seconds. <laughs> <You're trying to laughs> down, really want to know I saw a video I saw a video a month ago. A guy got knocked out. The ref, pulled, the ref got in between. And then the ref had to put the guy to sleep because he was fighting the ref. Right. That was crazy. It was wild. Yeah. But... No, I, I just I think it's important that we uh, we we really look at the fact that you're always going to be able to find the wrong in something. You got to find the right. It's you gotta, so easy. You got to find, find the right, and you got to find a way to get better and learn mm-hmm. from every experience. You know, negativity gets you nowhere. Nowhere. Nowhere at all. You're going to learn from your mistakes, obviously. Yeah. And if you're good, you will learn from your mistakes. If you're arrogant, conceited, and you don't want, if someone says to you, "Man, you lost four percent of my portfolio," and you have a negative attitude, well, you don't like to go somewhere else. That doesn't help anybody. Doesn't. Yeah. Look at it and say, "Well, listen, this is why we did it." Like you just said, right. we did this move for you, and we just saved you twenty-one percent because really, what you had would have dropped twenty-five percent. It this only dropped four. So Our goal times. is to get you back up there, but right now, the way the economy is, whatever, whatever your reason yeah. is, you guys know that way better than I do. Well, right. it's about the like Mark said, you can't have a rearview mirror approach approach to it. You got to be proactive. You got to be thinking about why why did we make this change, for what reason, right? And and then how's it going to help me later on? Because those little changes, those little tweaks, 
those are the things that should be happening. And there's no crystal ball. If there no. was, we'd all be rich. We'd all be billionaires, you know? Like, But that's the thing. Is like, we'd be on a job. Oh, my God. <laughs> two cents a chair. Like, yeah. Oh, let's get a thousand of them, uh-huh. right? But and that, that, that's where diversification, knowing your craft, knowing the knowing what you have at your fingertips is a really important piece. So I'm going to let Mark close us out. We're hungry. We're going to go get some chow and uh, we're going to talk a little bit, but I'm going to let Mark close us out. It was great having you on the show today. And Unbelievable. Really appreciate yeah, you coming pleasure. up. Unbelievable. And some time with us today. Uh, thanks for the invitation. And, and as always, uh, like and subscribe. So if you're on a uh, YouTube video, like down here in the corner, there should be a button down here. Like and subscribe. That's always important for us. Uh, you can find the Esley Group at 43 British American Boulevard in Latham, one 800 222-3202 and as always it's your time and your money Adam Jones Matthew Trillo, Mark Esley Financial Advisors 43 British American Boulevard First Floor Latham, New York 12110 518-724-5004 Cetera Investors is a marketing name of Cetera Investment Services Securities and insurance products are offered through Cetera Investment Services LLC Member FINRA SIPC Advisory services are offered through Cetera Investment Advisors, LLC. Cetera is under separate ownership from any other named entity. Today's community spotlight, Cage Wars. CageWarsMMA.com, 1 Rush Street, Schenectady, New York, 12304, Rivers Event Center. Special thanks, Chris Conlon, owner and craftsman of Skulls and Sawdust. 518-852-3673, skullsandsawdust at gmail.com. Special thanks to Bobby Chase and Jeff Carlson of Next Evolution Media. 518-879-1779, bobbychase84 at gmail.com. And last but not least, a very special thanks to our families for sacrificing many hours to let us see the vision through its reality. This material has been prepared for informational purposes only and is not tailored towards any particular individual investment objectives or financial situation. This is not intended to be an offer or solicitation to purchase any security or insurance product. Cetera representatives do not provide legal, tax, or estate planning services. Should you require such service, you should consult a legal, tax, or estate planning professional. A diversified portfolio does not assure a profit or protect against loss in a declining market. Rebalancing may be a taxable event. Before you take any specific actions, be sure to consult with your tax advisor. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily views and opinions of Cetera Investment Services. Any recommendations mentioned in this episode are meant for educational purposes only and should not be construed as advice or personal recommendations. Always consult your financial advisor, tax advisor, or attorney for details related to your specific risks, goals, and objectives. Investments have risk and can lose value. They are not FDIC insured. The situations presented are hypothetical to illustrate key topics and should not be construed as actual client situations or experiences. The SC Group operates under Cetera Investors and is responsible for production of the show. All views and opinions are solely that of the Esley Group. You should also obtain a prospectus prior to investing. Know your risks, costs, and fees associated with investments. The advice and strategies presented today are general in nature and should not be construed as planning until you consult with your attorney CPA for your specific situation. The NMA Grilata and the MAA are independent of the Esley Group and Cetera Investment Services. Cetera Investors is a marketing name of Cetera Investment Services, securities and insurance offered through Cetera Investments, LLC. Member of FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Cetera Investment Services and Advisory Services, LLC. Cetera is under separate ownership from any other entity uh, located at 43 British American Boulevard, first floor, Latham, New York, 12110, phone number 518-724-5004. Individuals affiliated with this broker-dealer firm are either investment advisory representatives who offer only investment advisory services and receive fees based on assets or registered representatives who offer only brokerage services and receive transaction-based compensation or both an investment advisor representative or registered representative who can offer both types of service.